Well, again, good evening and Merry Christmas. As I said at the beginning of our service, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story uh, through the eyes of gifts, talking about gifts and how gifts can actually illuminate this story, maybe in a way that we hadn't considered before or in a way that we don't often talk about. Because Christmas time is a season for giving gifts. And I remember uh, specifically when gift giving at Christmas changed for me. It changed when I finally started to receive an allowance. You see, up until that point, I was dependent on my parents to get gifts for my parents. Basically meant that when it came time for us to shop for one another, I had to go with them to the store and I would pick out gifts for them, but it would never really be a surprise because I needed them to pay for them. So we would get in line and they would see the surprise and it wasn't really a surprise because they bought it, right? But when I got my allowance, that whole thing changed. Because now we would go to the, to the store as a family and we could split up. And so I would go my way and I'd go and I would get to pick out gifts for them and, and check out before they ever got to see what the gifts were. And then I could take them home and I could hide them in my room and wrap them in secret. And when it came time for Christmas morning, when we would open gifts, I experienced a new kind of joy. It was the joy not only of what I was going to get, but it was the joy of seeing them open the gifts that I had selected for them. It was the joy of seeing the looks on their faces when they saw the presents that I had bought. And this remains one of my favorite parts of exchanging gifts at Christmas, is the joy that it puts on another person's face. But one of the challenging things about, you know, having to buy gifts for people is that each year I feel like the stakes go up just a little bit. Because, you know, each year I feel like I'm, you know, I really want to find the best gift for each person. I want to find that gift that lets them know that they're, that they're special to me, that they mean a lot to me. But, you know, every year Christmas comes again, which basically means I need to find a better gift than the best gift that I gave them last year. And so there's always this perpetual question of what makes for a great gift. And so this year I decided to do what most people my age do. I went to Facebook and I asked Facebook, what makes for a great gift? I mean, think about the, the very best gifts that you've ever received. What made them so good? And I just wanted to see what people's responses would be. And here were some of the answers that I got. Some people said that what makes for a really great gift is a thoughtful gift. Those thoughtful gifts that, that show that they really considered who you are. They considered your interests and your personality. And you could tell that they went looking for a gift that would just be appropriate and perfect for you. The other thing that many people said is they said that the, the, what make really great gifts are the, the homemade ones. Those homemade gifts because they're unique, right? This is something that another person made for you. It's special. It's not something you can buy in a store. And so it, it holds a special place in your heart. Other kinds of gifts that people said make great gifts are the relationship builders. Those things that might not even be things. Maybe they're experiences. I've heard many spouses say, I love it when, you know, my wife or my husband gets me, you know, a gift card to a restaurant that we've always wanted to go to together. Or they buy an experience together. Something that strengthens the relationship. Something, an experience that you can do together that will create a memory that you can look back on. Others said it's those long-lasting gifts. Those gifts that many years later you can, you can say, I'm still using this. I still have that gift and it still has meaning to me even to this day. But 
Some of the responses that I really loved are the people who said that, that what make really great gifts are the surprises. Those things that they didn't even know that they needed. And yet the moment you're presented with them, you're like, wow, yes, this is exactly what I wanted. This is exactly what I needed. This gift has now uh, somehow made my life better. You see, what, what's at the core of all of these gifts, though, all of these answers that people gave uh, to this question on Facebook was really relationship. They said that the very, very best gifts, the great gifts, are those that somehow strengthen and establish and reaffirm a relationship with another person. And tonight, as we talk about the gift that God desires to give us at Christmas, it's through that lens of gift as a way of creating and sustaining and establishing and supporting a relationship. That's the way I want us to look at the Christmas story tonight. But before we open scripture and look at that story, I think it's only right that we allow God to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks that you have brought us here this Christmas Eve in a time in which we get to once more look at this story and to see the gift that you desire to give to each and every one of us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have open hearts and minds to receive that gift. And Lord, I ask that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You know, in the weeks leading up to Christmas, Christians celebrate this season of Advent, these four Sundays that, that, that point us to that Christmas day. And on each of those Sundays, we focus on a single word, words like hope and peace and joy and love. The reason we focus on those words is because we believe that those words aren't just words. They're actually gifts that God gives us. That through Christmas, God has indeed given us hope, peace, joy, and love. And tonight, I want us to focus on one of those words. I want us to focus on the word peace. Because it's the gift that is announced by the angels when they first proclaim the good news to the shepherds. See, Mary and Joseph had been told, they'd been told that they would have a child, a miraculous child. And they traveled to Bethlehem and, and the child has been born. And then the angels appear to shepherds who are watching their flocks out in the fields at night. And when they appear, they announce these they, they make an, the announcement with these words. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. See, what the angels tell the shepherds is that the gift that God has now given to all people is the gift of peace. And peace is a word that is often uttered at Christmas time. Usually right around the holiday season is when I start hearing people on the radio or on television talking about peace because peace is something that we all know our world desperately needs. And often when we think about peace, we think about things like international peace, right? The ending of war and of violence, the reconciliation of different nations and people groups. Or sometimes when we talk about peace, we talk about internal peace, that, that sense within ourselves that all is right with the world. And those are indeed very, very good things. But I don't know if you can call those two things gifts. I mean, here's what I mean. If you really stop and think about it, let's think about those two definitions of peace for just a moment. 
We know that international peace and peace between nations isn't really a gift because of the amount of work that it takes to achieve it. That when it comes to peace between nations, it often takes years and years of negotiation. And that even after a peace treaty is drafted and signed, it often requires a great deal of effort to sustain that peace and to enforce it. Likewise, internal peace seems to be elusive. I can't tell you how many times I as a pastor talk with people and they, and they talk about the stress that they're going through, that they constantly face in life. And they say things like, man, I wish I could just take a day off or I could find a time in which I could just have a little bit of, a little bit of peace in my heart. Carve out some space to relax and take stock of the world. Again, internal peace is something that's only achieved with great effort. And so when we sit here and we say, you know, peace is a gift that God gives us at Christmas, it's kind of like, well, what, what do you mean peace is a gift? Because honestly, peace seems, while it's a very, very good thing to pursue, it seems like an awful lot of work. Well, I want us to go back to the story to see what the angels actually are announcing because when we do, I think we're going to look at peace through a very, very different light. And we're going to see how this is truly a gift that God not only gives us, but it's the gift that truly matters in our world. Let's look back to that announcement that the angels make. The version that most people are familiar with is this one that comes from the King James Version. You know, those angels appear in the night sky to make this announcement to the shepherds. And they say, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And oftentimes, that's where our mind goes. It goes back to that thing like, well, the reconciliation, the peace that comes between people who've been at war. But if you take a really close look at the original language, you realize that this is actually a very bad translation. That most of our modern translations actually get it right because this is, what, this is, a, this is a pretty good way of translating it. When the angels appear, they actually say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. And immediately we should be like, well, that's kind of an odd phrase. What do you mean peace to those on whom his favor rests? What, what kind of peace are they talking about? Because now we're, it seems like we're talking about something a little bit different. And to get our answer, to really understand the kind of peace that the angels are announcing, we actually have to look at something that happened a little bit earlier on in the story. You see, before the, Gab the angel Gabriel ever appeared to Mary and told her that she was miraculously going to have a son, a child who would be the savior of the world. You see, he appeared to another couple. He actually appeared to Mary's cousins. Her, her cousin was Elizabeth. Her, uh, Elizabeth's husband was Zechariah. And we read in Luke chapter 1 that the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah and tells him that he and Elizabeth are going to have a child. And this is pretty miraculous in and of itself because Zechariah and Elizabeth were very advanced in years. We're actually told in scripture that they were unable to have their own children. And so when Gabriel comes, he says, well, guess what? Elizabeth is going to conceive. That was pretty miraculous. And sure enough, we learn that Elizabeth does become pregnant and that they have a child whose job it is to go ahead of the Savior, to go ahead of the child to be born to Mary. And when that child is born... His father, Zechariah, 
make, uh, speaks these words. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace." You see, the reason that this passage matters so much for understanding what the angels are pronouncing on that first Christmas night is that Zechariah understands something about peace, that the, that the most important kind of peace is the peace that needs to happen between us and between God. He speaks about the forgiveness of sins. You see, peace by its very definition assumes that there had once been a conflict that there had once been some kind of division between people that needed to be healed, that there were people who needed to be reconciled to one another. And what Zechariah understood and what the angels proclaimed is that that peace, the most important peace, the, the thing that needed to be healed was the division between God and between humanity. You see, there is a division between us and God. It's this thing that Zechariah spoke about. It's this thing that we call sin. Now, sin has become a very unpopular word in our culture these days. Uh, people often speak of sin, and when we say the word sin, we often think of, you know, fire and brimstone preachers who are shouting at us from street corners and waving Bibles. Uh, we think of to-do lists that God is keeping and checking them off and making sure that we're keeping everything in line. When we break it, that's a sin. But when you really look at what scripture has to say about sin, sin is not simply rules that we've broken, bad things that we've done. Sin really is a condition that our entire world lives in. It's a division between us and God, a separation. That there's something wrong with our world. That our world isn't the way it was supposed to be. And that is a result of our rebellion against God. The ways in which we've turned our back on him. The ways in which we've tried to live life according to our own rules. And when we cut ourselves off from the God who by very definition is hope and peace and joy and love, well, it's no surprise that those things seem to be lacking in our world. And we don't have to think too hard to see the truth of this. I mean, we feel it. We feel it when we see conflict between people. I hear even the most passionate skeptics and atheists when they see wars and violence on television say, that's not right. That's not the way this should be. And they're correct. I see it when people talk about the dissatisfaction that they have in their own personal lives. That lack of peace that comes when hard times fall upon us, when a relationship ends, when we lose a loved one, when we're stricken by illness. But I hear it in people even when they achieve the things that they thought they desired most. You know, you get that promotion or you get that pay raise, and yet it's still not enough. You still say, there's something is not right. I still don't feel settled within my heart and within my soul. Something's not right. You see, that cry of the human heart, that cry of the human heart points to a deeper division 
Something that goes far deeper than the division that needs to be healed between people groups, the division that needs to be settled within our souls. It's a cry that points to the fact that we've been separated from our creator. The one who made us in his image. The one who loves us and desires to have a relationship with us. And oftentimes, when we think about that division, we think that, well, this is a kind of, if I'm going to have peace with my maker, then, then that's something that I have to do. But that's what's so beautiful about the Christmas story. Because notice what the angels say. They show up to the shepherds and they say, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You see, what the angels pronounce is they say, Peace has now come. And you didn't have to do anything to earn it. Peace is now given to those who desire to receive it. And it's not something that you have to earn. See, this is what makes the Christmas story so beautiful and so powerful because it sets, the, it sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. See, every other world religion will tell you that if you want to have peace with God, if you want to have peace with the divine, then you've got to get to work. You've got to get busy. You have to renounce certain things or you have to start doing certain prayers or performing certain religious rituals or, or keeping to some sort of strict moral code. And maybe if you've done enough and you've worked hard enough and you've been good enough, then maybe you will be reconciled to God. And yet what the angels announce is they say, it's not about what you do. It's about what God has already done for you. God desires to give you peace. And now in this moment on this very first Christmas, Peace is being given as a gift. That reconciliation with God is now being freely given to you and to me. And the way that that comes is even more beautiful because they say the reason you know you can have peace is because God has sent a Savior. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the anointed one. He is the Lord. You see, what I love about what the angels are saying is they're saying, God offers peace on our terms. You ever stop and think about that? God chooses to leave heaven and come into our world to become one of us. You want to know how far God is willing to go to have peace with his people? He's willing to enter our world. He's willing to share in our sufferings and our difficulties and our struggles. He's willing to become one of us so that we might once more be united with him. He's not waiting for us to climb some mountain, some mountain of our own moral effort. No, he comes down so that we might meet with him and have a relationship with him. And I love how the angels say, go even further. They say, and you can know that this is true because there is a sign that God is giving you. And this is the sign. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And once more, we get something unique about the Christmas story because one of the things that we learn in this story is that God is a God who loves to give signs to his people. 
Signs so that we can know that he can back up his words. That when he says there is now peace between you and me, it's not just empty air. It's not just wishful thinking that he's offering us. He can say you can know for sure that you have peace because I've given you a sign of peace. I've given you a gift that you can behold with your own eyes. See, this is part of the reason why we tell the Christmas story year in and year out. It's not so that we can dust off some fairy tale and read it once more so that we get a couple of warm fuzzies one time a year. No, we go back to the Christmas story because what the Christmas story says is it says your faith, everything that you stake your beliefs and hopes upon is based on fact. It's based on the fact that God has actually acted within human history and there's evidence that we can point to. You see, unlike other religions and other philosophies which offer these high-minded ideals but have nothing to back them up, Christianity actually says you can believe our words are true because of what God has done. In fact, the early Christians said that if, it is not, if none of this stuff actually happened, then you don't have to believe anything that we're saying. See, Christianity is unique because we're willing to stake our entire faith on the fact that God acted in history. There's evidence that we can point to. And if you're sitting here this Christmas Eve and you're wondering, well, what is that evidence? Where can I go to find it? I could point you to countless resources. Because there are innumerable books written by world-renowned scholars that point to the fact that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ actually happened in time and in space. That in fact, down through the centuries, some of the brightest minds, the most skeptical minds, have come before the evidence for Jesus Christ and have walked away believing. That there have been countless people who said, I don't believe and I don't think there's enough evidence. And yet when they started to investigate, walked away saying, this is true. And I know that because it's also my story. See, I didn't grow up believing in Jesus. I actually enjoyed sitting around the lunch table in high school and, and kind of making fun of my friends who were believers. Until one day somebody challenged me. They said, have you ever looked at the evidence? And I said, what evidence? And they said, oh, I can, I can point you to evidence. And sure enough, they put into my hands book after book after book, scholarly article after article after article that pointed to the reality of the Christmas story. And so maybe this Christmas, if you're sitting there and saying, I've never looked at the evidence, maybe the Christmas gift that you need is an opportunity to examine it for yourself, to pick up one of these books. Because there's not just historical evidence, there's countless philosophical and scientific evidence that you could point to. But the point is, our God tells us that faith is about believing in what he's done. Our faith is not a blind faith. Our faith is a trust in God, trust based upon what he has already done. The signs that he's already given to us. And he gives us these signs so that we can have the peace that he's offering. So that we might come to believe. That's why Jesus says, peace I, live, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, 
what you will see is the lengths that God is willing to go to make peace with us. That he was willing to enter our world, to live among us, to ultimately die for us. Because even when we rebelled against him and turned our backs on him, God didn't answer us with punishment. Rather, he took the punishment on his own shoulders. He died on a cross in our place. But more than that, he rose again to new and eternal life. And that's part of the reason that we can believe, that we can believe that the peace that God has established is something that we can depend on, something we can base our lives upon. And so this evening, I want to ask the question, what kind of peace do you need? Are you looking for your peace in, in the things that just don't satisfy? In your own achievements? In the things that you can earn? Well, know that you don't have to. Because the God who made you is the God who loves you and who saved you. And he desires to give you peace as a gift, a peace that comes from knowing him and knowing the purposes that he has for your life. But likewise, if you're sitting here and you have that peace, your calling this Christmas is then to go out and give that peace to others. Because you see, when we've learned what it means to be forgiven, we're actually able to go out into a world of division and bring forgiveness and bring reconciliation. We're actually able to give them a taste of what peace with God ultimately looks like. And that's the gift of peace that God gives to us at Christmas. And it's part of the reason we often sing this very famous carol. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace, that we say, Amen.